Hal Weatherman. So I'm going to set this up a little bit. I hope we've got it all good. But uh, so Hal Weatherman was with Dan Force for years, formerly worked with Sue Myrick and has been in Congress, not as a congressman, but as, as chief of staff. He has connections all over the state, all over the country. And he is a one of the brightest political minds. Now, you say what you will, the, the, what happened with the Cooper campaign and, the, and, and Dan Force's campaign, but you have to look across the board. Democrats were livid that during the campaign, Cooper was more concerned about Cooper than any other race. And he should have been, kind of, but he should have allowed it to open up. It was clear they were afraid if things were to open up too much, everyone could raise money and it would be a much more competitive race because I still think Hal had a solid ground game. But now it's how interesting they just savage former Lieutenant Governor Dan Force on masking stuff, and look at where we are today. Hal, welcome to the show. How the heck are you? Chad, I'm awesome. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, you I'm are that. Now, yeah. it, I do want to get to the story you posted, though. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, I, I want you to comment on Cooper. But this story, so, you know, and I, I'm going to paraphrase, but I want you to tell the whole story because it, you got called by the governor, you and Dan, second term, to go up to a meeting about the 13 original colonies. And I want you to take it from there because there's so much about that story that's germane today. Yeah, sure. It's highly relevant with all the redistricting things that are going on. And I posted it uh, because I thought people would want to know just an interesting kind of insider's look at the whole process. Um, Dan Forrest, uh, at that time, this was January 2017, we had just won our second term as lieutenant governor. Um, uh, Governor Cooper had just won his first term as governor. I believe it was the first or second week in office. The governor's obviously setting up a new administration. Uh, we're pretty well established at that point going into our second term. Uh, Cooper calls Dan uh, on his cell and just says, hey, look, I've been invited to represent the state of North Carolina up in Philadelphia. Um, they're, they're trying to get the governors of the original 13 colonies present for uh, the dedication of the American Revolution Museum, which, by the way, if no one's ever gone, you need to go. It's Smithsonian quality. It's amazing. And uh, he just thought, you know, just thought it would be a shame for North Carolina not to be represented. We, in the spirit of bipartisanship, agreed. And Dan said, I'd be happy to go uh, represent the state. And so uh, I went with him. We went to Philly. And uh, we were there for two, three days for the dedication. The night of us arriving, uh, Ed Rendell, who was the host, the head of the host committee, Ed Rendell's the former governor of, of uh, Pennsylvania and uh, was also the former national chairman of the Democrat National Committee. He invited us to dinner. We go to dinner and we're joined by all the governors that were there. Um, uh, the current governor of Pennsylvania at that time is still the, the, the current governor. Uh, Fox uh, was there, the governor of Massachusetts, uh, Terry McAuliffe, the governor of Virginia, uh, I believe the lieutenant governor of Rhode Island was there as well. I think he was the only other lieutenant governor. Dan was there. I was there. There were other governors. But, you know, it was a very surreal moment. We actually met in the same room that our forefathers gathered in in Philadelphia. I mean, it was really, it was, it was a cool moment. Uh, we had dinner. We had, you know, cocktails before. And, and we're seated. I'm seated next to Dan on one side of me. I got Governor Rendell on the other. Dan seated next to uh, Governor uh, Terry McCullough. And a reminder, Terry McAuliffe is also the former national uh, head of the Democrat National um, Committee, national, and then also well-known, documented, you know, confidant of the Clinton family. And, you know, we're sitting around, we're talking. It, it's very clear through the conversation that nobody in this room knows that Dan Forrest is a Republican. 
Um, they're all. And th- this is important. This is an important part oh, of the yeah. story. It, I just is, want to make sure. Just through the com- just through the conversation, it was very clear yeah. that they didn't know. And and we were being nice. I mean, there was nothing. Two former. Two former That's national right. chairmen for the party. Two former national Correct. chairmen of the party. One on each side. One on each side. And so you know, the night starts going long, and just out of the blue, um, Chair McCullough says, "Hey, while we've got everybody gathered here." Let's talk some shop. Let's talk business. Let me tell you about this interesting thing that I'm doing. Um, I'm working with uh, Bill Clinton, working with George Soros, uh, working, uh, you know, with um, uh, Eric Holder is going to run this thing. We are going to raise, I, I don't remember the exact number, but it was a staggering number, three, four hundred million dollars, whatever it takes. And we are going to sue in all the Republican-led uh, states. And he even looked over at Dan and said, we're coming to your state too, Governor. You'll like that. And, you know, Dan's kicking me under the table because he has absolutely <laughs> Again, we know that they know that we're not – they don't know we're Republicans. And he says, and here's what we're going to do. And it was very open. I mean, they again, they thought they were in, in, in among friends. And we are going to sue, and we're going to judge shop. We're going to look for liberal judges. And we're going to sue on redistricting. We're going to make the Republicans look out to be to look like racial bigots, and um, and we'll win some, and in some we'll lose, but we'll win in the long run because by the time we're done with them, you know, um, the black community will have nothing to do with them. We'll just absolutely eviscerate them. And just in other words, make out. make every Republican look like a racist bigot, and that's the plan. It's twenty seventeen, and twenty seventeen, and literally like leans over and says they have no clue and i said no they don't and so we're literally kicking each other almost laughing and 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 then the night goes on and you know they start serving drinks and of course dan's a teetotaler and i very rarely drink and so you know we're just kind of taking it all in let let the liquor flow and let people talk freely and Terry McAuliffe is having a conversation now, with Dan. I can hear how right i'll let you take it from there because you know that's a lot more to the story yeah, so, so then, you know, Terry McAuliffe, you know, we're sitting, we're eating dessert, actually, and he looks over at Dan while he's eating and says, uh, so Dan, he's just making small talk. What's it like uh, What's it like presiding over a right-wing General Assembly? He meant it in a derogatory way, as a joke. And Dan said, oh, it's great. It's absolutely great. And <laughs> Terry McAuliffe laughed and said, yeah, right, right. And Dan kicked me under the table. And then he said, well, uh, how is your first term going? And Dan said, thinking Dan's in his first term as lieutenant governor. And Dan said, well, my first term was great, and my second term is off to a really good start. It's going strong. And he said, no, I mean, your first term as lieutenant governor. And Dan (laughs) said, my first term as lieutenant governor was great. My second term as lieutenant governor has started off really strong. And he said, yeah, but the first term Pat McCrory was good. Are you? Wait, are you? And and you could tell he's tongue tied. You could see it. You could literally see it in his face. The realization. And Dan said, "You know that I'm a Republican, right?" And no the entire room got death quiet. Every everything stopped. Every fork hit the table. And Terry McAuliffe said, "Hey guys, uh, Dan here's a Republican." And Dan said, "Yep." And he said, "Listen about that." Um, Terry McAuliffe said about that redistricting stuff. Um, we just we just want it to be fair. Yeah. And Dan said, yep, listen, gentlemen, I want y'all to have a good night. And we got up and we walked out the door. And 
Wow. You know, we laughed about it, but the reality was it's not funny. And it's one of those things that, you know, from a personal standpoint, not being partisan at all. I mean, this is our republic, right? And, and voting is a bedrock principle of who we are as a country. And I wish, I personally wish, that the demographics that they were so callously casting around as pawns in a political game could be in the room and hear about how callous they are about it. I mean, this is, you're talking, this is January 2017, so we're talking three to four years before the state of North Carolina General Assembly even started discussing redistricting. Before they drew the first map, they were already planning the lawsuits on unbased, un, you know, uh, allegations of whatever it is that they're suing on, right? This is just That's a game. Right. It, it's, a, it's a power struggle game. And yet, Mark Elias can write, "Hey, we just want something fair." You know, you, you and I, I definitely want to ask your opinion on what the Supreme Court justices here in North Carolina—that partisan split. Anita Earls receives quarter million dollars plus, you know, donation from this organization. It's it's very partisan. From an they got a partisan decision. To Eric Holder, who was running the yes. effort, right? Exactly. Yes. I mean, so you know, people are going to have to make their own decisions. Unfortunately, in the state of North Carolina, the Supreme Court somewhat is supreme, and. You know, my my hope, my you know, I believe that power closest to the people is where the power should reside. The General Assembly has a constitutional duty to redraw the districts. They did so. I think they did a fair and equitable job in doing so. And I would like to see, you know, the General Assembly starting to fight for their constitutional rights. They need to start standing up themselves. And I'm not saying they're not. And, and, and pushing back. And somehow we as a society have to start pushing back against judicial overreach. If, if judges want to legislate, they should hang up the road and run for the General Assembly or run for Congress. But, you know, it, it, it's, it's just unfathomable to sit there and listen to the, basically them um, in that room three years before redistricting and talk about how they were going to fund this thing, judge shop, um, and, and basically eviscerate a whole group of people on un, 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 baseless claims, right? And to watch that come to fruition four years later and to watch it play out right now. And we're watching it. And I just thought it was important that people knew this is this is how the balance of power happens. This is what happens behind closed doors. This is what people do. And I think we all know that. I think we all suspect that. I just happened to be a fly on the wall on that day and watched it. And uh, it sickened me. You know, it really sickened me. We deserve better as people. And again, well, and, and, partisanship here. I, I'm just saying it as an American. We deserve better than that, right? I, absolutely. And I think, you know, when you looked at those maps, and you've been around this long enough, you've seen the maps from the early 90s, the mid-90s. I mean, you see these maps with the 12th district. They ran from, you know, Charlotte up two lanes of I-85 and up to Greensboro, these bizarre districts. And these were fairly compact that looked pretty good. But the, and again, the other thing that gets misquoted so much is there is no law against having somewhat partisan districts. There's not, the, you know, the Democrats drew them when they had advantage. Republicans have drawn them. But and, and they, they had trouble defining what fair was. I mean, Justice Newby even mentioned that. It got quoted out of context. But what's your thought on that? When these people in a state that's a third, a third, and a third with respect to unaffiliated Republicans and Democrats, depending on the given year, they, they didn't give the legislature a lot of guidance about what a fair map is. They gave no guidance whatsoever. They gave no guidance. And, so, and, and, and that's right. It, also, look at how they did it, right? The lower-level court that was bipartisan, two Republicans, one Democrat, voted unanimously that the General Assembly acted in accordance with the state constitution. Did they have a right to do what they did? 
and uh, that they were uh, legally and equitably, you know, they, they were drawn appropriately. And so we should proceed. The Supreme Court filing opened. People started to file. The Supreme Court, the North Carolina Supreme Court, stepped in and said, no, we're going to allow the plaintiffs to have their day in court, right? And if there are, are any appeals, uh, we will bypass the Court of Appeals and come directly to us. And again, not being partisan, but the Court of Appeals has a Republican majority, the state Supreme Court has a Democrat majority. It seems very clear why they did that, right? And, uh, and here we are. And it causes uncertainty and ambiguity with the voters, obviously with the candidates themselves. But the whole system kind of grinds to a standstill, and they gave no guidance. They gave no guidance on, on how to proceed. They're basically, further, setting it up to, they're basically setting it up to where they will make that decision. And they are not elected. The state constitution is clear. The General Assembly is the duly elected representatives of the state of North Carolina. They are the ones that are tasked with this. And again, to I your point, how? Yeah. To your point, not only did they do what they did with, with ambiguity, but they're allowing the plaintiffs, people who are not in elected office at all, to draw maps. And the judges can Correct. theoretically, from what I read in the decision, they can pick the plaintiffs. They can pick Mark Elias's team's maps. Exactly right, which is a complete, you know, overreach and a complete overrun of our state constitution. And this should not be acceptable, right? It should not be acceptable no. to, uh, it's like the, the constitution itself is being, the state constitution is being run roughshod over. And, uh, but, you know, we're seeing the overreach. We see the overreach out of Washington where it's going to take states, strong state governors, to stand up and fight against the overreach on the feds. But we're also seeing the overreach from the judiciary, both at the federal and the state level as well, where it's going to take strong general assemblies to stand up and start saying no. I remind people that when a court issues an opinion, if you actually look like when the U.S. Supreme Court issues an opinion, at the very top, it actually says on the parchment, in the opinion of the court, somehow we've allowed the judiciary to rise to an equal and opposite branch. You should read our forefathers' writings and what they envisioned the judiciary to be. They are to offer opinions. And what they have done is they're coming in with the force of law and saying, now we're going to make those decisions. We're going to make those decisions. None of us are elected. None of us are held accountable to the people. And that's unacceptable. It's unacceptable to our republic and what our forefathers envisioned of how we would be governed. That's my personal opinion, but I feel strongly about that. And I think you're seeing that play out right now. Our guest is going to allow Mark Elias potentially to draw the maps for the state of North Carolina in complete circumvention, complete running over the General Assembly's constitutional... Our guest, Hal Weatherman, you can see why I wanted to get on. Very passionate individual, someone who's been on the, the, the front lines of politics in North Carolina across this great state. And Hal, thanks for being a part of the broadcast today.